the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in. It's Wednesday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your questions, Bible questions, church questions, questions about stuff going on in your life. And if today's mail is any indication, questions about stuff that some people are angry about. Um all you have to do is provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you are outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, I don't know if it's still raining outside or not. It's not, I'm just told. Um, but streets are wet, so the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, tonight I'm going to be teaching out of 2 Kings chapter 21. And uh, the reason this is important for any of you who have a prodigal, a child who's breaking your heart, uh, and you just think they're so far gone, God can never get them. This is a Bible study that you need to listen to tonight. This is about the power of God. This is about the love of God, the the infinite patience and compassion of God. And sometimes we lose hope, especially when it comes to our kids. As they grow up and start making horrible, horrible choices, our hearts break Tonight's Bible study will show you just how powerful God is, how long and, and, and perfectly aimed his reach is. So all of that is tonight, 2 Kings chapter 21. I'm going to do the first 18 verses. Uh, that's our study tonight. And of course, Paula will be live in studio with us tomorrow on the date day edition of the program. We look forward to seeing you here with us then. Well, let me get to some questions and then we will... Um, Await any phone calls that are coming. My first question is from our mobile app. This one comes from Lewis. And he says, Pastor Ron, would you please explain exegesis versus eisegesis? Just when you think I'm pretty fluid in biblical terminology, new words pop up, and I find I've still got so much to learn. Lewis, if you're studying your Bible and you're just taking from the Bible what it says... You don't have to worry about exegesis and eisegesis. Let me explain the differences, and then uh, we'll, we'll maybe talk a little bit about how practically this, uh, this works for all of us. Uh, exegesis is uh, when we are doing an exegetical study. We're taking a verse-by-verse study. This is what I do uh, every time we're teaching the Bible, whether it's Wednesday night or Friday night or our three services on Sunday. We're just taking the, the, the verses in context, and we're taking from the passage what the passage says. Now, the Spirit will lead us in application. Uh, he knows who's here. But, but we're just looking at the, at the study. We're saying, okay, here's what it says. And here's what it means. And then finally, here's how we apply it in our life. That's exegesis. We're taking the passage of Scripture in context. 
and we're seeing what that passage of Scripture says. Eisegesis, on the other hand, is reading into the passages of Scripture what we want it to say. Let me give you an example. Um, you know, um, um, we, we have a lot of pastors, of course, who do um, uh, topical studies, and they've, they've, they're, they've got a, a, a topical study on something, and then they want to reframe the, um, the, the context so it will suit what they want it to say. And that's eisegesis. We're reading into the Scripture um, one quick example, I can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Um, you know, we, we, we think that, that we can apply that any way we want. We can build a whole sermon on uh, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength uh, and miss the whole point of the passage. So, Lewis, that's the different exegesis we're taking out of the scriptures from what it says. Eisegesis, we're taking what the scripture says and we're adding to it. And we're doing it normally uh, because what we want to do is uh, make a point or we're looking for passages to support the particular topic that we uh, we, we have chosen. Uh, and and I, I've got to tell you, that's what I hear happening on Christian radio um, or television all the time. Somebody will have a topical message with five points and they'll take these passages of Scripture and, and, and then they'll make them fit the five points or the three points or however many points it is. And that's really, really dangerous. It's dangerous. And then people will say, well, but he was using the Bible. Well, you can misuse it. And eisegesis is a misuse of Scripture. So, Lewis, the best way to protect yourself, don't worry so much about the terminology. Um, just read what it says. Observe it. Look very closely. Words matter. I mentioned this in our program um, earlier this week. Words matter. So identify, observe what it says. And then interpret it. What does it mean? And you've got to have the context. What does the author intend to communicate? And then from that, you can get a, a practical and a correctly practical application from it. So, Lewis, I hope that answers your question. Uh, these are just um, terms that Bible colleges use, hermeneutics. But, but eisegesis is bad. Exegesis is solid. Hope that makes sense. Thank you very, very much. Here's a question. This one is from Simon, and I'm going to shorten it just a little bit because it's very long. Um, but, but let me say about these, these next two questions. Um, we Christians have to be on guard against anger. And both of these sound like the writers are angry. And when you're angry, you don't make sense. And when you're angry, you're missing the point. And we've got to be able to get past our anger. That's why we have the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. Here's the first one. This one's from Simon from our email inbox. Um, first, he says, all of a sudden in the last few years, it's almost like everyone who's white is the worst. Uh, that if you're white, you're privileged and racist. Some who are black cling very much to the past of their parents and grandparents. Terrible things they went through. Yes, those things happened, but it was in the past. There's no more slavery. I don't cling to stuff that happened to my parents or grandparents. I don't let it affect me or my life. I'm responsible for me and my life. I'm responsible for the here and now. I don't let what happened to my great-grandpa define who I am. I didn't even know the man. Uh, my buddy Ken, who is of Japanese descent, doesn't cling to what happened to his grandparents after Pearl Harbor and, and all the hatred they had to deal with. He doesn't even think about it unless he's telling folks about his family history. But he doesn't hate white people because of it. He knows folks today had nothing to do with that. So why isn't it the same across the board? Why am I responsible for things that happened in the black community back when my grandparents and great-grandparents were still alive? Why is there so much anger about the things that happened long ago? Now, I'm going to stop right there because um, the, the anger that comes from this letter is heartbreaking to me. It's heartbreaking to me. And, and frankly, there's a lot of this that is racist. Now, everybody knows, I think most of you know, I'm a very white man. I was born in Iowa. I'm as white as you can get. Um, um, and yet, it's easy to, to, to identify the racism in this letter. And, 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 and I'm not saying that, that we have to be for reparations. I'm not saying that we've got to agree with that. But, but as a Christian, and I'm assuming you're a professing believer, as a Christian, 
You've got to have a love and compassion bearing with one another in love, the Bible tells us, with people that you disagree with. Now, I'm going to say this very practically. You need to stop listening to right-wing radio, right-wing television. You, You need to stop focusing on other people. I can promise you there's a lot of things from your past a lot of things even now that are going on that's they're going on in your life that you're not dealing with you you say that you don't um worry about the things that that when you you're worried about things now that you have no control over and the people that are supposed to be the object of your love are now the object of your anger And believe me, I don't care how righteous you might be, your anger is not righteous. It's self-righteous, but it's not righteous. So focus on your own heart. Jesus talked about looking into the eyes of others and picking out specks when there's these big beams or logs in our eye, and that's exactly what happened here. You know, if you lost somebody in a murder, how would you respond if somebody said, just get over it? Now, I'm going to agree with you in sentiment, but certainly not in heart, because I would tell my black brothers and sisters, or wait a minute, I could tell my black wife. So, you know, these things happen. Racism is real. And racism affects people. It's not institutional racism. We don't have to worry about that. It's simply real. I can't tell you. And, and for 53 years ago, when I met Paula, um, believe me, it was a lot different being in an interracial marriage or in an interracial relationship than it is now. It was very unusual. Uh, I have two sons that the world would identify as black. They went through a lot growing up. They were harassed by police just because I happened to be pretty wealthy and they were driving nice cars and black kids with nice cars in Upland, California were assumed to be drug dealers. They never did anything wrong, yet they got the treatment as though they were criminals. These things are real. And you don't tell people just to get over it. What you do is you pray for them. And you understand that your anger is isolating you against the object of God's love. And since his love has been poured out into your heart by the Holy Spirit, you're supposed to love them as well. Now, we, we're commanded by God to love people. We don't have to like them, but we have to love people that disagree with us or that we disagree with. Now, the fact that you would say at the beginning, uh, everyone who's white is the worst, you know you're not the worst. What does it matter what other people think? You say that if you're white, you're privileged and racist. You know you're not racist. I, I hope you know you're not racist. Although I did say this letter has a lot of racism in it. So don't worry about what other people say and what other people think. Those other people aren't believers. You are. You're held to a higher standard. I can't communicate to you how important it is. This thing is getting your heart, and there's a root of bitterness that's now coming up, Simon, in your heart that if you don't deal with, it will consume you. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. You ought to park there for the next week. Just park there and let the Spirit of God speak to your heart. Don't tell people get over stuff. You tell them about Jesus. And don't worry about reacting. When Jesus spoke, people called him terrible things. They thought horrible things. Jesus said those things are going to happen to you. So here's the thing. You've got to decide what your identity is. Is your identity as a Christian? Or are you now going to be the victimized white man who's being victimized by all the people who are blaming you for slavery? Now, if you've listened to this program for any length of time, Simon, I am certainly not one who deals with white privilege or CRT or any other nonsense. Uh, We live in the present. Uh, We're only responsible for how we behave in the present And the people that are living in the past, by the way, that's what unbelievers do. They live in the past because they have no hope for the future. Well, your responsibility, Simon, is to give them hope 
and our hope is in Jesus Christ. And frankly, that you could write a, an email like this indicates that nobody would look at your life and, and want anything that you have. They wouldn't be able to see any hope or any light in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So don't let people influence you. If somebody thinks you're white, you have white privilege, oh well, move on. Tell them about Jesus and move on. And don't be surprised at what the unbelieving world does. They're looking for hope and they're looking for answers. And you, Simon, as a professing believer, you have the right answers. But the right answers with the wrong heart will never yield any fruit. Never. So what I would ask you to do is park in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Get your mind and your focus off of the problems other people have. And let the Holy Spirit really dig into your heart and correct it there. This is a, an email, Simon, that uh, from my perspective has been written by somebody who is in um, um, a dangerous spiritual place. The enemy is turning your anger into rage and he's going to get a stronghold in your heart if you don't deal with it right now. You close your question by saying, why am I guilty for being white? Acts chapter 17 says that you were born where you were born, when you were born, and what you were born at just the right time. At just the right time. Acts 17, 26. So, somebody wants to make you guilty for being white, just brush it off. My grandma used to say, sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt me. And um, I think we've got to remember that old proverb. So, Simon, I'm worried for you. I'm worried for you. Please take my counsel closely. Let's go to our friend Ruben on line one from Seguin. Ruben, thanks for calling. You're on the air. God bless you, Pastor Ron. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for being patient. I'd already started that question, and, and uh, I didn't want to make you hold too long. No, 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 no. No apologies at all. No, I mean, you don't have to. Um, actually, I called to ask you to forgive me uh, for not uh, keeping my word and showing up on Sunday. Um, I allowed the enemy to, well, you know what? I, I allowed it and it was me. Yeah. No, for, forgiveness, forgiveness, no problem, Ruben. I love you. And, and I, I just long for the day when I actually get to hug you. I do too. I do too. I really do. And, 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 uh, this uh, past two weeks have been, <laughs> my dad got out of, got out of a rehab and he was put on hospice. And the reason, well, I called for two reasons. One, to apologize, and two, to ask for your opinion. Uh, he was put on hospice, and one of the um, benefits that they give is they have a chaplain come every week. And uh, they sent our, the one that they, they, they appointed to my dad is Catholic. <laughs> and I told them, I said, we're not Catholic. And they said that, you know, well, just listen to him. And so I listened to him when he came, but I was just, <laughs> I kept, I was just looking down and nodding my head because uh, I know, I mean, I'm not like bashing Catholics, but I know that the way the way that they are and the way that they speak, it's it's like, you know, it's verbatim and, you know, it's, it's for me, it's just not from the spirit. Yep. So my question is, is it wrong that we allowed him to come into our house? And I'm thinking about asking if we can get a different, uh, we want a Christian denomination, but I don't know if they do have any. Uh, did we do wrong by allowing him to come in and to just give his version of the minister? Yeah, us? Ruben, I, I don't, you didn't do wrong. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure it was wise, but you didn't do wrong. Uh, I think the chaplains, most of them, probably have the right heart and they want to bring comfort 
but a, a, a Christian message, and I don't mean a general Christian question. I mean, a born-again Christian is the only one who can bring any hope, the only one who has any answers, right. and the only real source of comfort. So what I would, I would do is, is rather than, than uh, ask for somebody to come in, uh, ask for another chaplain, uh, um, you know, um, all you got to do, let us know where, where your dad is, how we can get to him, and I'll send uh, somebody out uh, right away. And, and they will minister to him. And um, uh, that, that you know the source of what you're getting there. And I think we just have to be very careful. We don't want uh, a religious or a superstitious approach to death. The, the person who is in hospice and near death uh, really and truly um, wants, to, um, wants to ask questions. They want to know what's going to happen to them. And um, yeah. a, a Catholic chaplain isn't going to be able to help them. So, no. uh, Ruben, no. if, if you want to call them and ask for a, for a, a born-again Christian who's a chaplain, there will be, uh, and they've got somebody that's great, but if, if we can help you, uh, believe me, it's no problem at all to have somebody come out and, uh, and minister to your dad. We'd, we would be happy to I do would it. Love, I would love for you guys, if you could. Yes, that would be a, such a blessing. What's the email that I could send um my address to send it to questions at calvarysa.com questions at calvarysa.com yes i'll do that right now okay and we'll have uh, we'll have somebody contact you reuben and and make the appointment Uh, the man's name is steve he'll be calling he heads up our hospital ministry and uh, he just loves the lord with all of his heart okay great thank you pastor ron i love you sir thank you so much thank you very very much god bless you bye Uh uh-huh you know, a couple of things, and we, we're inside five minutes now for the rest of this program, or rest of this half of the program. Um, um, we, we have a chaplain in our church, and he's not from our, he's not uh, ordained as a chaplain in our church. He was a chaplain, and he comes to our church. His name is Carlos. And uh, two Sundays ago, uh, I, I had the privilege, uh, this elderly lady, now I'm always careful when I call people elderly because they're probably my age or younger, but she came up. And she wanted to meet me in person, and she wanted to thank me for Chaplain Carlos. And I said, well, tell me what, what happened. And she said, uh, I lost my husband 10 days ago, and Chaplain Carlos led him to the Lord. And I'm so grateful, and I just want to thank you. And I said, you know, I, I don't thank me. Um, God always has his people there at just the right time. And it was such a great time because I could look at this woman and say, so now you know, you know that your husband is going to be in heaven when you get there waiting for you. And her whole marriage was an unequally yoked marriage. And there was just such a peace and such a gratitude uh, about her. So um, um, Chaplain Carlos did a wonderful job. And uh, actually, Ruben, if you're still listening, he might even live out that toward your direction. Uh, maybe I'll send him instead of Steve, but one, one of the two will be in contact with you uh, right away. So um, chaplains, right man or woman at the right time, um, God will use them. I promise you, I was so blessed. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about, we just, we just uh, lost somebody yesterday. Um, somebody who was so near and dear to us. We've known them for such a long time. Uh, we've been through so much. When I went in the hospital to see her, I got a kind of a frantic phone call that it looked like she was going to be uh, going to be with Jesus soon. And um, um, she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer stage four, but just about a week ago. And, and you know, did all the tests, find out what it was. And, and now she's with the Lord. We lost her yesterday. Uh, Jesus, I shouldn't say we lost her. Jesus found her, uh, you know, fetched her uh, so he could be with her. Um, but, uh, you know, we went through uh, hospice care and stuff with her husband. Um, he is a diabetic. He lost both legs, had some heart issues. But but a man who God changed dramatically in the middle of, of a, a, a life that was filled with pain, a life that caused a lot of pain. And this man's life just changed so, so dramatically. And uh, uh, Laureen, who is the lady that we we lost yesterday, um, she was she missed her husband so much. 
She thanked God every day for such a godly husband. They had about five years together with him walking with the Lord, and it was so sweet, and they were so faithful to serve in spite of the physical condition he was in. And she's always been pretty healthy, so this was a surprise to everybody. But she was really ready. And the Lord, I was so grateful to God. He was um, gracious enough to be sure that I was able to get there and see her and hug her and give her a kiss, um, prepare her before she went to see the Lord, talk to her about what was going to happen. Her daughters were there, who I've known since they were young girls. And and um, uh, just just the, the, the tenderness... Um, and God's grace to me, just to be able to, to be there with her, uh, was really a blessing. And I knew she wasn't going to last long. I thought she was actually going to. I got to see her on Monday morning. I actually thought she probably wouldn't make Monday, but she made it into, into Tuesday. And God answered our prayers. He, he, uh, he took her quietly and peacefully, uh, without pain and without suffering. And, and um, she was intubated, but at the same time... Um, she could communicate, uh, couldn't talk, but she could nod, she could grunt, and we just had a really, really sweet, sweet time in her hospital room. Ruben, appreciate it. We've got 30 minutes left in the program. We'd love your calls, 340-9585. This is the word to stand up for life. I'll be back in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Wednesday show, 340-9585. Hey, we just got an anonymous question. I won't spend much time with it, but it was uh, just somebody wanting to know information about our men's retreat. He said he wants to be sure to reserve the time. Uh, and we invite our radio audience to come. Our men's retreat is going to be September the 7th through 9th. That's Thursday night through Saturday about noon. Um, it's going to be at the Alto Frio Baptist Encampment in Lakey, Texas. Uh, and um, um, we will be posting more information on the website, of course, as we get a little bit closer to it. My friend Kevin Green, he is actually the voice who does our radio song. Our intro song, uh, a dear friend of mine. I don't get to see him often enough, so I'm going to have him out. He's going to be our guest speaker, and it will be a great time. I also wanted to thank the the radio audience, and I should have done this on Monday, but we had a whole bunch of you show up for church on Sunday um, and wanting to meet me and, and Paula and say hi, and what a blessing it was to get to meet you, Cesar and and Henry, and, and there were some others. I So many people were here that I can't remember all the names, but it was really nice to get to meet um, you and your, your wives uh, and have some conversation uh, in the brief time that we had between services. But uh, it's always a thrill to be able to see people. One of the men, he said, he says, oh, I can finally put a face to the to the voice. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry for your disappointment. <laughs> and I looked at his face and he thought that was um, uh, pretty funny. But uh, I meant it. <laughs> so that's the thing. Okay, here's a question from Tony. Um, and she says, I was talking to a friend. And it's Tony with an I, so I know it's Tony, a she. Uh, she said, I was talking to a friend who was telling me that the church she is attending will no longer have a pastor, one leader. Instead, they will just have elders due to Jesus being the head pastor. They are practicing messianic Jews. Is this biblically correct? The answer is no. Uh, God gave pastors to the church as a gift. And by the way, the elders, when you read in, in the, the pastoral epistles about appointing elders, that's the equivalent uh, what do you call them, elders or overseers? Um, it's equivalent to our, our office of pastor. So it's one man who was involved. Now, first of all, Messianic Judaism, if it, de- if it departs from the apostles' doctrine, um, they're, they're, they're saved. God bless them. I'm glad they're going to go to heaven. But they're not practicing the faith according to the standard that was provided for us in the book of Acts. Uh, the, the apostles 
were Jews and they became Christians. And to practice Messianic Judaism um, uh, has no value at all uh, since we are living under a new covenant. And, and that's exactly what Paul makes very, very clear. Remember, he was about as Jewish as you can get. So uh, this is, is not something that's new, nor is it peculiar to uh, Messianic Judaism. You get a lot of people say, well, we don't want to have one man with all the authority. Um, that, that's kind of being rebellious. So, uh, Tony, tell your friend that's not healthy biblically. And um, what they really need is, is to be involved in the church where the pastor is faithfully and accurately teaching and preaching the word of God. So um, I, would, I would get her out of the messianic group. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is the other angry email. This one is from Robert. And I think Robert is not his real name because this sounds a lot like uh, somebody who wrote in uh, earlier this week um, using a different name. It's interesting to me. People will use different names uh, when, in fact, um, you know, they're complaining about some of the things. Okay, here's this question. Why do people feel like Romans 13 means God institute government authorities all throughout history? Every time someone, every time some wildly shocking, wholly unqualified candidate gets elected, we can be sure someone is going to quote Romans 13. If God is the one who puts these people in charge, who are we to question them? Who are we to take to the streets and protest over injustice? If we interpret Romans 13 that way, we're rebelling against God when we do that. But Romans 13 doesn't say that. Now, the rest of this letter, by the way, Robert is completely wrong. Uh, Paul wrote a whole letter. He didn't sit down and write chapter 13 separately, using it as a defense against any power, any power to get away with whatever they want because God instituted the government authorities. Chapters and verses weren't even a thing until later in history. That has nothing to do with the point you're making, Robert. And then he says, Paul spends the first 12 chapters laying out the question, how does a community composed of Gentile believers and observant Jewish people work? So it seems odd and unlikely that suddenly Romans 13 would shift to talking about the Roman government. I ask you to consider the following. What if Paul was not speaking about the governing authorities of the empire at all? What if he was talking about the governing authorities of the Jewish communities in which these Gentile believers had this increasingly tenuous relationship? What if Paul was not declaring the Roman Empire was put in place by God, but rather that the Jewish communities of Israel in diaspora or in dispersion were put in place by God? And then he goes on uh, not really making a whole bunch of sense. And he I don't know why he did this. But he, he, he ended it by saying Happy Black History Month. Um, this is another heart that I'm really concerned about. I just think, what would God think about a heart written like this? I would also say that this is somebody who doesn't understand exegesis in the Bible. God is not saying that Paul was um, uh, talking about the governing authorities of the Jewish communities. Uh, Rome was not a, a Jewish community. So that's not what he was talking about, governing authorities. He was talking to people who were under oppression. Christians in Rome lost their lives. They were martyred. They were brutally beaten. They were used for sport. They were used as human torches for Caesar's courtyard. Uh, Nero was the man in charge. And Paul is simply, in Romans 13, taking a change. Again, there's no Romans 13 when he wrote it. But he was taking a change in direction and he was talking to Christians about living in a hostile environment. And he was talking about living at peace, submitting to authorities, unless, of course, those authorities were uh, in contradistinction to the word of God. And that's very, very clear. And this, this man who wrote this and was trying to make a similar point with another passage of Scripture um, you need to learn to study your Bible. Now, for everybody else out there, God did institute government authorities. And every time we have an election, I've been on this program now for 10 years, every election season, I sort of scold our Christians who are hoping that, that the kingdom of God is going to be ushered in by the right Republican candidate being chosen. God doesn't choose the candidate. 
What Romans 13 says is that government is a God-instituted source of authority and power. Without authority, the world would be absolutely chaotic. Uh, imagine not having any street lights, not having, imagine not having lanes on the freeways. Of course, there are laws and there are rules instituted by the governing authorities, and that's to help us find a place to live in peace, uh, a place to coexist with other people, and certainly in our country, a place where we can share the hope and the truth of Jesus Christ uh, with other people. Um, but it does not ever mean that God chose Joe Biden to be our president. If you look at the history of the kings, and we've been in First and Second Kings now for a long time on Wednesday nights, God gives the people the kind of government they deserve. And certainly that's the case in the United States. We deserve what we've got. If you listen to any of the State of the Union address last night, I, I, I try to listen. I really try to listen, but I get angry and I don't want to let my flesh get involved. We deserve what we've got. We've rejected God. Christians aren't standing for God. Christians are more interested in the kingdom of America than they are the kingdom of God. We forget that we're pilgrims traveling through this world. And yet there are people who say, well, well, I know that, and I'll go back a few years, Trump was God's man. No, he wasn't. God, If God actually chose a man, that man would be somebody who would follow God. So it's the authority, it's the institution or the office that is ordained by God. And the context there for this so-called Robert, the context is the governing authorities, Rome, Peter, makes the same point in his epistles. And uh, the idea is we'll try to live at peace, and we do that by, by being good, law-abiding citizens. And I'll repeat this finally. Um, we have to obey the governing authorities unless, unless... They tell us to do something that is uh, in contradistinction to what the Word of God says. So very, very important. That's the context of Romans 13. And what Robert did is an example for you, Lewis, of eisegesis. He has um, um, uh, a pet doctrine or a pet um, campaign that he wants to go on. And so he's twisting the scriptures to say what he wants it to say instead of actually saying what the scriptures say. Very, very important. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Joel. I never know if it's Joel. If if, if the person is white or Anglo, it's Joel. If his if he's Hispanic, it's Joel. And if they're not here to ask, I assume in San Antonio the chances are better that that uh, this is Hispanic. So Joel. He says, if the Church of Christ believes you have to be baptized to be saved, is it a heretical church? No, Joel, it's not heretical. They certainly added to it, and that's wrong. You don't have, And they do believe you need to be baptized to be saved. Uh, and so they're adding to the work of God, which is um, uh, an unbiblical, incorrect, and sometimes hurtful doctrine. But their Jesus is Jesus. It's not a heresy. They're wrong. And the truth is, there's a lot of churches that, that are, are, are truly committed to Jesus Christ that have wrong, bad doctrine. Now, if you had said the Church of God in Christ uh, uh, believes that, that, that uh, God is, is one, it's Jesus only. Jesus is the Father. Jesus is the Son. Jesus is the Holy Spirit. Then, yes, that's a heretical doctrine. Um, but but that's not what the Church of Christ is. They're simply adding to uh, what is necessary to be saved, and it is really just a complete lack of willingness to understand the Bible. They've got, a, a, a again, a pet doctrine, and they want to cram it down everybody's throat, um, and, and um, all they have to do is reasonably read the Scriptures. And, and understand that we're saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. So uh, they are not heretics. Uh, I think the churches tend to be legalistic, uh, and I, I, I think because of the things they believe, Joel, um, there, there's not a lot of fruit coming from the churches of Christ uh, any longer, if there ever was, and I don't know 
if there ever was. I'm not judging them. I just don't know. Uh, because the Church of Christ was not something that was prominent in the area that I got saved in where I grew up. Here's a question uh, from Randy. He says, my question is about Jonah. Are we really supposed to believe he was swallowed by a whale and lived? Yeah, I think, Randy, we pretty much got to believe that. Um, you know, uh, we got to believe it because Jesus said it. Jesus himself said it. Now, we can look at an Old Testament story like that and think, oh, who would believe this? And I could go through all kinds of examples, and you can Google it. Um, uh, Google uh, people living after being swallowed by a whale, and you'll get probably 10 or 15 examples of, of uh, times when that very thing happened. Um, but, but I don't have to do all that. All I have to do is say, well, Jesus believed it. He said, no sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. So Jesus affirmed Jonah's account. Just as Jonah was in the, the, the belly of the fish three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be consigned to the, to the grave for three days and three nights. So if Randy, uh, Randy if Jesus um, um, affirms Jonah's story, I think as Christians we pretty much ought to decide that, okay, Jesus believed it, so I believe it too. And this is one of those things that, that I spoke about in the program yesterday. Um, people talking about the Bible. Um, you know, we've got to make a decision. Um, as Christians, it's our responsibility. And, and we're, we're going to be judged as stewards of God's Word. You know, you can't just say, well, well, I believe this, but I don't believe this. God is simply saying, look, I gave you this, this, this talent or this mina. And I asked you to be a good steward of it. Bring me a return. And if we don't believe every word of it, then we're just burying it. And and uh, when we're burying it, we're, we're not using it for the reason or for the purpose God intended. So what we've got to do is make a decision. Do some research. Read. Study. Um, dig in. Really dig in to find out if the Bible is literally the Word of God. If it is, uh, if, it, if it contains errors, Randy, then we are completely lost. We have no direction. If the Bible contains errors, if the Bible is inconsistent, then then we all of us we have no direction in life at all. That's why once being saved, once giving your heart to Jesus Christ, the very first order of business for everybody is to 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 determine do I really accept this Bible as the word of God? Not a book written by men. Um, uh, by the Word of God. And the Bible, of course, has been under attack from the very beginning. And you can go on the Internet and look at all kinds of people. Oh, it's not really the Word of God. It's this, it's that. Whole groups of churches, whole denominations, and and now supposedly progressive Christian churches, woke Christian churches. Oh, no, we're deconstructing our faith. We don't really need the Bible. Um, we're going to stand before Jesus. He's going to say, you know, I told you my Word would never fail we never perish so what did you do with my word I think a lot of people are going to be told depart from me you wicked servant for I never knew you so Randy I believe it with all of my heart and by the way it is a wonderful book to teach and to study 3409585 Tim wants to know did Jesus really predict the destruction of the temple in 70 AD Yeah he did now he wasn't specific he just said when you see uh, Jerusalem surrounded by armies we know uh, 38 years after Jesus said this this is during the time of the Olivet discourse uh, his heart was broken over being rejected by his own he came to his own and his own received him not um, Jesus refer to this very thing and and it wasn't like forever it wasn't a long-term prophecy it was fulfilled 38 years later meaning the people that heard jesus say that saw it 38 years later and if they listened to jesus then they escaped if they didn't listen to jesus then they were consumed and destroyed by the roman general titus so yes he really did predict the destruction of the temple in 70 a.d not one stone will be left upon another uh, he talked about the blood that would be shed uh, and all because they didn't recognize the time of God's visitation to them. So, yes, Tim, he really did predict the destruction of the temple. 
Here is a question from, let's see who we got this. Anonymous from our mobile app. Um, Pastor Ron, our, my church has our church's youth pastor teach for him on days that I can only assume are inconvenient for him. And uh, he says in parentheses, any Sunday after a major holiday. Excuse me for that. Did clear my throat? I don't think that's right. But then again, it may be just the way he wants to do things. Do you do anything like that? Is it okay that I don't agree with that? Yeah, it's so it's certainly okay that you don't you don't approve of that. But as somebody goes to a church, um, you know what you agree with uh, really doesn't matter. And I think this is important. Um, if there is a pattern that after a holiday, uh, he takes off. Uh, and a major holiday, I don't know what you're talking about, but if it's Christmas, sometimes people travel. Um, um, I, I, would, I would approach the pastor and talk to him about it and say, you know, I've got a concern. I think this is the way Christians ought to resolve these things. Instead of, of uh, sort of simmering underneath the surface about it uh, or wondering why it's happening, I think that the, the loving thing to do is to say to your pastor, you know, I've noticed that after major holidays, you're never here on a Sunday. And the youth pastor is is, is preaching. And, um, you know, I, I have some issues with that. So could you explain why you do that and what your reasoning is? And then when you get that explanation, Anonymous, you can make a, a, a considered decision whether or not this should remain your church. Um, I have people preach for me uh, only when I'm gone, and believe me, I am gone probably less than any um, primary teaching pastor um, that, that you know. I like being here with my people. Um, I haven't missed a communion Sunday ever, and in, in we're, we're coming up on 28 years. I've never missed a communion Sunday. Um, I do get asked to speak other places, and my, my initial response is usually, no, I'm going to stay with my church. But there are times when I'm asked and instantly the Lord is letting me know that he wants me to do that. Um, uh, so, so there are places I'm going to miss one Sunday in February uh, be, because I'm, I'm going to be speaking to a group of pastors and then at a church in the San Francisco area. But believe me, there's no pattern that I have and there is no day that's inconvenient and, and uh, if my, my answer was, well, I just need some time off, um, boy, I would have a hard time explaining that to the Lord. So uh, I like being here. I'm actually energized by being here. And um, um, again, I think the best thing for you to do is speak to your pastor directly and ask him why that is. When I'm gone, just so people understand, when I'm not here... Uh, we spread the speaking opportunities out among other pastors. I've got 10 pastors on staff, uh, soon to be 11. And um, uh, we'll let them, I like to give them opportunities to teach as well and get some experience in front of the church. Uh, when I'm gone on a Sunday, Pastor Ken always fills in. But on the Wednesdays and Fridays, if I'm gone, then we kind of spread those opportunities around. Uh, here's an anonymous question. This will be our last one for this program. Hello, Pastor Ron. What happens if a person changes their sex and finds the Lord? Should they continue to live their lives as the sex they were originally born? In some cases, this might be difficult. I know this sounds like a strange question, but I was really curious about this. I believe and pray that there will be a revival in the LGBTQ folks. Anonymous, thank you for saying that because I believe exactly the same thing. That, um, that if there is going to be one more move of God's Spirit, before Jesus returns, I believe personally it will start in the LGBTQ uh, group of people. Um, when when uh, that revivals usually start with those who are most lost, and and I think that's the case. Um, my counsel to somebody would be, um, uh, depending on how far they've gone with the sex change, uh, if they have had replacement surgery, they call it bottom surgery or top surgery. When, when young women are, are having their breasts removed. Um, um, you know, you can't go back on that. But if if the plumbing has been changed, then I would take the, the Apostle Paul's counsel and say, stay uh, where you are when you found the Lord, when the Lord found you. 
uh, I would not tell somebody who was born biologically male or female to to hold on to um, um, an identity that is different than that. If somebody was biologically female, I wouldn't say that that we, we they should should stay that way uh, if they transition to male. Um, but um, I, what the church needs to be willing to do is to help people through this, and we're going to see this anonymous in huge, huge amounts of cases. Um, already, young people are uh, overwhelmingly um, just devastated by the um, hormone therapies, the um, surgeries that they're having, and uh, you know, a few years they find out they're more miserable than they were before. Um, uh, we're we're going to deal with this, and the church needs to be a place where these people can come. So, um, if they haven't done the plumbing change, uh, then I would say just go be be the the sex you were born with, identify with that, and then honor God with your bodies for the rest of of your life. And and we welcome them into the church. So I agree with you that. Uh, um, it's a perfect place for revival to begin. So I know it's, it's not a strange question. It's something that we're going to have to learn to deal with. Uh, Reuben, we received your contact information. God bless you. I'll be seeing those people tonight, and we'll get somebody in contact with you. Uh, for the rest of you tonight, if you've got a prodigal that's breaking your heart, uh, boy, we've got an encouraging message for you tonight. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Paula will be live in studio with me tomorrow at 4 o'clock on the date edition of The Word to Stand Up for Life. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.